Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nockham Siegel Network, NockhamSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And uh, due to social distancing, we're once again going solo. We're flying solo uh, this week. Hopefully it won't be too much longer, although um, we'll see. You know, kind of miss the camaraderie. Might have to switch to a Zoom recorded or Skype recorded uh, type format. You don't get the same personal banter, though, through having two two people talking politics or three people talking politics in the same room going at it. And, uh, well, we'll have to see. Um, right now you're stuck with me. And uh, it was an action-packed week and continues to be as we suffer the, or endure, I should say. I mean, some are suffering. Uh, some are suffering terribly. Um the the number of fatalities is clearly more than any of us could have imagined. We surpassed sixty thousand in the U.S., approaching sixty-one thousand, over one million cases in the United States. Uh, I think the president at one point said maybe one or two weeks ago that fifty to sixty thousand would be a great victory. Could have been two point two million based on the models, but uh, right now, I think what we're looking at is just uh, more than any of us could have imagined, more than realistically um, that we can bear right now. And uh, obviously a lot of political stories coming out of this because uh, politics and leadership uh, and government are all intertwined. And this administration, more than others, is is uniquely political in how it approaches things. So that in of itself is, of course, uh, makes it interesting. And you know, now the clear push is to open up the country and open up certain states and move on to the next phase and whatever that will be. And we've seen some positive developments in that. We've also seen some not-so-positive developments. Um, you know, really, when it comes down to it, I mean, the United States has by far the most confirmed cases in the world. Um, over 1 million. The next is Spain at 236,000. So it's just... Uh, now, of course, we might say, well, China undercounted, and they didn't count, and Iran didn't count, because totalitarian regimes, they like to you know, deny any bad news. If anybody saw the movie, the series Chernobyl on HBO would know, uh, which is just fascinating from which is absolutely fascinating for the way that it portrayed the official denial. Portray the official denial of... Oh, okay. Well, Siri wanted to talk to me right now. That's so interesting. I didn't know where that was coming from. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, the official denial of 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 what's going on, um, which is uh, quite breathtaking. Let's bury all the facts. And it's going. It's kind of similar to something that's going on in Florida right now, uh, where the governor Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, has told the county medical examiners to not hand over data to. Uh, to not uh, sorry, not to report the data 
State, so really the headline is this. State officials have stopped releasing the list of coronavirus, coronavirus deaths being compiled by Florida's medical examiners, which is, has at times shown a higher death toll than the state's published count. This is from the Tampa Bay Times. Okay, The list had previously been released in real time by the state's medical examiner's commission. But earlier this month, after the Tampa Bay Times reported that the medical examiner's death count was 10% higher than the figure released by the Florida Department of Health, state officials said the list needed to be reviewed and possibly redacted. They've now been withholding it for nine days, this is as of yesterday, without providing any information or specifying what they plan to remove. So essentially, the State Department of Health has been trying to control the information coming out of individual counties. And, um, you know, this is this is part of government anywhere um, that on a local level, the local government has certain functions. And one of them is going to be to record deaths. And they also have everybody's a medical examiner or a county coroner. And those will record deaths. They'll also record the cause of death. And occasionally, especially around this, this could be a political issue as to how to record certain deaths. As we know, New York City upped their death toll, for particularly for people who had died at home. And that had been, um, you know, there was a bump with that. And then New York State, others used to, you know, kind of followed because you had people who were not officially tested positive for COVID-19, but their symptoms and their death was consistent with having that. And so the question is, how do you classify those deaths? Do you include them in the statistics? Do you not include them in the statistics? Um, let's just take some state-by-state state numbers because Florida is as simultaneously opening, and it's an interesting political case, and uh, Florida is simultaneously opening and the numbers are climbing at the same time. Remember, there is a provision in, I'm sorry, not provision, the federal guidance, okay, with regard to opening up, okay, with regard to opening up America, okay, if a state or regional, let's say a state or a county wants to open up and they want to loosen restrictions, what's supposed to happen according to the White House Coronavirus Task Force recommendations? This is not from the CDC. This is not from an agency. This is actually the official White House guidance, despite the fact that the president has been pushing people to open, but this is the actual official guidance. And we can get back to that in a second as to, is he pushing, not pushing the case with Georgia? We talked about it a little bit last week, but it got kind of more interesting. Okay, symptoms, downward trajectory of influenza-like illnesses reported within a 14-day period and downward trajectory of COVID-like syndromic cases reported within a 14-day period. Okay, so you have to have down, there has to be downward for 14 days. Cases, downward trajectory of documented cases within a 14-day period. That means overall you have fewer um, new infections per day for a 14-day period. Or, this is or, downward trajectory of positive tests as a percent of total tests within a 14-day period. So flat or increasing volume of tests, you have to actually be testing more people and for that to happen, not fewer people, the way to get to there is not by not doing tests. The way to get to there is by testing more people and having fewer 
positives. And then for hospitals, treat all patients without crisis care and robust testing in place for at-risk healthcare workers, including emerging antibody testing. So there's three things. You want a fewer, fewer signs of symptoms. You want a fewer people being tested, fewer positives, and you also want the hospitals to not be under stress. Um, it's apparent that places, uh, certain places don't meet that, but they're opening anyway, um, which is interesting because, you know, we've seen the economic pressure is actually immense right now to do that. Now, Florida now has 33,193 uh, cases as of the statistics I see this morning. That has been climbing. If I remember like a week ago, maybe we were talking about 22,000 or so in Florida. Uh, Massachusetts also has had a huge uh, increase up to 48, 58,000, excuse me, Illinois, 48,000, California, 46,000. Um, LA County announced that they were going to be doing free tests for everybody. So anybody wants to get tested. Remember the president said, seems like years ago, the president said anybody who wants to get tested can get a test. Well, that's actually happening if you live in LA and, um, Administration has been challenged on testing. It's an issue. Um, now, maybe if you're what they're telling the president in the White House that it's not an issue, it's it's an issue. I mean, ask anybody who wants to get a test. Um, you know, there's criteria. Initially, there were criteria. You couldn't get a test. It was the initial criteria, of course, is that you had to have symptoms. You had to, and you had to be exposed. You had to have traveled to China. You had to have a known exposure. That was then. Then you had to have symptoms, and you had to have a doctor's note. Then you had to have had symptoms, and I mean, there were all kinds of criteria. People were sent away. People couldn't get tests. It was uh, even if you lived in a house with somebody who was positive, you still couldn't get a test. They just said, "Assume you're positive." That's a great way to conquer a pandemic. Assume that you're positive. Go ahead and quarantine. Now, what about after quarantine? Right, the fourteen-day quarantine. We don't. We don't know. Okay. Pennsylvania, 46,000, Michigan, 39,000, Florida, 33,000, Louisiana, 27,000. Remember, Louisiana was in a crisis. Texas, 27,000, Connecticut, 26,000, Georgia, 25,000, Maryland, 20,000, and then we're below 20,000. But there are, I mean, we see some states we never talk about. Um, because you know, we talked about Colorado for a, for a little while, which is now opening up big states. So for, still only four, 14,000 cases. Ohio, where Mike DeWine has become, a, a, I think, a extremely popular for taking very swift and decisive action, although some people might say, again, too much. But um, he says, listen to the scientists and lock down early, 16,769 cases. Ohio's a pretty big state, pretty populous state. And... They've kept it down. They flattened the curve. Um, I mean, not as anywhere near as much as Washington State, which has really been the most incredible success story of this, where they lock things down early. They encourage businesses to close. Um, you know, Washington is obviously a little different than New York, even though you know it started in the Seattle area, and um, not the same level of mass transit, not the same level of density, uh, a workforce that can easily work from home. Um, you know, that high tech or maybe Boeing camp, but you know, that kind of thing. But we see uh, some of the tension as Florida reopens, they're leaving the three counties, the three counties that, you know, we're most familiar with Palm Beach County, Miami-Dade County, Broward County, those three in the southeast of the state, those three remaining closed uh, with restrictions in place. 
So you're going to have an interesting case. Can somebody travel to a different county and then do that? They might bring the virus there. Kind of unclear. I'm not sure exactly what all the restrictions are. So, as I said, testing is an interesting one. And um, the vice president was challenged on it this week um, by a reporter at the news briefings and said, uh, was asked that you, you know, he was at the, you had been at the podium in early March and promised 4 million tests would be, uh, would be produced. And we're only getting to 4 million kind of now. So uh, I think it was Jonathan Carl of ABC asked, you know, hey, what, what do we learn from not getting there? And Mike Pence uh, was having none of it. He basically said, you don't understand. And I think Mike Pence has been extraordinarily competent uh, during this whole episode, although I will talk in one second about, I think, when he made a major faux pas this week. But he said, well, you don't understand. There's a difference between tests being delivered and actual tests being taken. We can deliver them, but they actually can't test them. You asked about delivering. We, I'm sorry, we talked about delivering 4 million tests. We can't actually test them because we don't have the capacity to actually do the test. The test kit might be there, but we didn't actually do it. It reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where Jerry is asking about his reservation for, at the car rental place, and he said, but, yeah, and they said, that we don't have a car for you. And Jerry responded, but I made a reservation. And the agent says, but I'm sorry, there's no car here. And Jerry replies, you know how to take a reservation, but you don't know how to hold a reservation. And that really is the most important part of the reservation, the holding the reservation, just taking a reservation. So what? It's kind of like this, right? Delivering a test kit that can't be used and can't be tested is meaningless, But, you know, it's a crisis, and I'm not going to harp on it. I think that, you know, the one thing I think that the American people would like, at least this American person and some people I like, is to take some responsibility. We know that mistakes are going to be made. We know that there are going to be problems. We know that this is everybody is scrambling. However, however, you got. You can't be in denial about it. You can't just say, "Oh, well, let's." No, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. Let's let's parse the words here. Testing is testing. Getting a test and having a test means getting an answer whether you have coronavirus or not. And you know there is this element of it. It's kind of like when Mike Pence goes to the and Mayo Clinic this week and doesn't wear a mask. And he says, well, I've been tested. I'm tested regularly. So the reason one would wear a mask is to protect other people, but I don't have coronavirus. So that day. Well, number one, you probably weren't tested when you went in through the door. So it's possible, and I'm not saying it's at all likely, that you do have coronavirus at the time. Because it is that contagious. And there is some possibility that it could have happened, that one person gave it to another, who was asymptomatic, etc. Having said that, let's just say it's impossible. But the bottom line is you want everybody else to wear a mask. You want the American people to wear a mask. 
The way to do that is like Melania Trump did, is wear a mask yourself and show yourself wearing a mask. Now, the president doesn't want to wear a mask. I think Donald Trump's personality is not, there is no way you're going to get him to wear a mask. He's just not going to do it. But Mike Pence is a little bit of a different personality. And I think especially you're going to a hospital, especially you're meeting with sick people, you're meeting with doctors, the rules say that you should wear a mask, as the Mayo Clinic had tweeted out that you should wear a mask. You should wear a mask. Show some leadership. That's the point. Don't say, oh, I'm different than, I'm better than anyone else. I don't have to wear a mask. And I think one of the things that people see is a administration that's not owning up to all of the issues. Jared Kushner went on TV yesterday and said this has been a great success story. And I think the biggest, and the president has now, you know, kind of parroting that, that, you know, they've, we've done the best job that everybody, anybody's ever done. And remember, I mean, one of the, I think the downward trend for George W. Bush was when the big mission accomplished in Iraq, and then things started going, getting kind of hairy from there. Now, we don't have the same, this is something we're possibly more possibly more in control of, but not necessarily. We don't know if there's going to be more. We don't know what things are going to look like. We certainly don't know what the economy is going to look like over the summer. I mean, we could, we could have a tremendous downward tr- tr- um, trend in infections and everything. Hopefully that does happen. Hopefully remdesivir and other cures and other vaccines that are being sped along, these all work. But it's possible they might not. How do you declare victory over something when the death toll keeps rising? Just because fewer people overall are dying? It's just fewer people are dying on a given day than they were yesterday. So I, I really I feel that that's just not. And, and what clearly, what's, what's clear right now and, you know, it's been that message has been delivered to the president, essentially, um, and is that he is his and we and we've seen the change already. We've seen the change in the White House briefings, but the briefings are not working for him. They had been working for him. They had. There's no question they had been, I think. And I said, you know, I've said this in the last couple of weeks that his command of the stage vis-a-vis Joe Biden who's hiding in the basement. His command of the stage has been beneficial. The problem is, is that he can't stay away from some of the little things that bother that, that become a problem. I mean, obviously, the Lysol and disinfectant thing was a huge issue, but things like you know, he says uh, at the podium that we're going to be doing five million tests a day, and you know, he goes, he kind of goes off script because he likes to talk about the great success that. You know, he has. And then, of course, the medical officials are asked about that. And this happened to Admiral Giroux from the Public Health Service. He said, you know, his basically response was, there's no way we're ever going to be doing 5 million tests a day, kind of even in the future. It's just not going to happen. Right? What was that? What, his quote, there is absolutely no way on Earth, on this planet or any other planet, that we can do 20 million tests a day or even 5 million tests a day. Okay. He was responding to a Harvard University study that said the U.S. would need to run at least 5 million tests a day by early June. 
and $20 million by late July in order to safely reopen the economy. But then Trump said, I didn't say that we were going to be doing 5 million tests a day, even though the day before he was on video, on camera, in the White House saying that he was going to do it. So, I mean, that's, you know, that, I mean, that that's just one, yeah, that's just one of the issues. Of course, the issue, you know, with Georgia, with Governor Brian Kemp, the president had told him that he should open, or at least according to rumors, and then he told him that he shouldn't open. Um, you know, that's, that's one of the things. And, you know, of course, this idea that the economy is going to come roaring back. We lost another three point, I think another 3.6 million jobless claims coming out this morning. So the president is upset about his polling because his internal polling has been widely now being widely reported is that he is behind in the key key states. Uh, Michigan has taken on the governor, and I think that that has been uh, calling her that woman. I don't know. I mean, she seems to be pretty popular, and right now Michigan is uh, you know is weathering crisis. We'll see with unemployment there. I mean, some of these unemployment numbers are going to really hurt the guy in charge because. Donald Trump ran as the outsider. He ran against the system. Now he is the system. I know he doesn't like to own be the system. He's kind of like this outsider, disruptor president. But the bottom line is, as long as Joe Biden makes this a referendum on the guy in the office, it's about the person who has been there for the last four years. And you have to own it to a certain degree. Quinnipiac University poll had Trump trailing Biden 42 to 46% in Florida. Republican doesn't win Florida, it's over. Recent Fox News poll found Biden leading Trump 49 to 41% in Michigan. Now, as for the internal polling, we don't have that, but it's been reported in various outlets that Trump had a blow up at campaign manager Brad Parscale over poor numbers. And the interesting thing, oh, by the way, the, the cumulative uh, employment number is 30, it was over 30 million in the last six weeks. Anyway, they told him, scale down the briefings. The briefing's not working for you. You go for two hours. It's, it's you know, people can't, you're bound to say things that are going to be, that come back to haunt you. And Trump initially resisted, said he, people love the briefings. He's fighting for them. And he doesn't, he didn't, li- he didn't like it so much so that apparently he threatened to sue Brad Parscale. We'll see. I mean, I don't know if that's true. And, you know, that has been kind of the running, a little bit of the running theme for the president. Um, now he's got a new chief of staff, Mark Meadows. He's got a new new press secretary, Kaylee McEnany. He's got some new talent in there. Hope Hicks is back. And let's see whether they can, you know, they can turn the ship. Hopefully, hopefully now they start and they start having some some good news. But I think what they have to look at and the way you kind of portray this is, yes, the economy is in the dumps. And the president started to said this yesterday. We're going to take some hits, but we're going to come back. And who do you trust to lead the economy back? And who's the better choice to lead the economy back? And if you believe it's Donald Trump, then you're going to vote for Donald Trump. If you believe it's Joe Biden, you're going to vote for Joe Biden. But if it continues to be the chaos, then a lot of people are just going to vote for Joe Biden because they don't want what they see right now. And we'll have to see how that works. Now, bigger in, in my mind a little bit is the story with happened with Bill de Blasio uh, this week. 
over the last two days with regard to Williamsburg and his famous, just awful, uh, disgusting, uh, what I believe racist and bigoted tweet, um, specifically targeting the entire Jewish community of New York, which numbers more than one million people, for the actions of a very small group in Williamsburg that chose to come out for a funeral for a Leviah of the Tolas Yaakov Rebbe. And the whole chronology of this is just absolutely bizarre. <clears throat> they wanted to hold a funeral publicly. Now, the funny thing is people, not funny thing, is people have called me all the time and they want to know, can we have a wedding in Lawrence? Can we do this? Can we do this? And I say, basically, no, the law doesn't permit it. And I'm not willing to work with you or talk with you about it. There isn't any leeway if, you know, kind of, if you, if you don't want to listen, don't tell me. And, you know, roll the dice and you'll see if the police come and break it up. So, but for some reason, Williamsburg, the police decided to work with the Hasidic community. I guess maybe they figured it was going to happen anyway. They put out barricades, they put out light towers, the public safety, and they thought, I guess, that the, the showman was going to be there. Pictures were posted about the large gathering. De Blasio himself came down, and clearly he was annoyed and upset, and, you know, this is, and then lashes out at the Jew, entire Jewish community, not Jewish community in Williamsburg, not Hasidim, not saying that, you know, there are certain elements within the Jewish community. The entire Jewish community, the Jewish community writ large, needs to understand that we do it. And the backlash has been furious because it's true. I mean, this is the worst type of anti-Semitic tropes that, number one, the Jews don't care. So let's single them out. The Jews are spreading the virus. Okay, which which they the police you know, which he said, you know, we had to save people from spreading the virus. That was what was happening here. But the idea number one that you would tweet out of anger and do it and do it so inartfully is classic just Bill de Blasio. Can't get out of his own way. I mean, Liz Smith, I thought, put it what put it best. Democratic political consultant, work for people to judge, but she used to work for Bill de Blasio. She accused him of criminal incompetence. New York City has been a refuge for Jews fleeing persecution and death for decades and more. How on earth does the mayor of New York City single them out for persecution in the middle of a pandemic? And if you don't want to think that it does, the very idea of of targeting the entire Jewish community as not abiding by the rules, the entire one, gives fodder to anti-Semites. Just that night, there was an Ascara, a memorial service for the Novominsker rabbi, arguably the, the the most significant rabbi in the Haredi world. 60,000 people tuned in, either video or by phone. And that funeral was private. Okay, you Just think about how many people would have shown up. That funeral was private. The burial was private. And it happened, and so you have a example of the Jewish community, even the Orthodox community, even the Hasidic community, doing the right thing. And instead, you use this Mayor de Blasio as that, you know. And de Blasio defended himself. He says, "I'm sorry that you know if some people were offended, but people's lives were in danger before my eyes. I was not going to tolerate it. I regret the way I said it. In any way, gave people a feeling." of being treated the wrong way. That was not my intention. It was said with love. It was tough love. It was anger or frustration. 
nonsense. This is, if you really believe that you should blame the entire Jewish community of New York City for the actions of a small group because you're trying to protect their lives and you think that that is the wrong, you are an anti-Semite. I hate to say it. I, mean, I know Bell de Blasio is not an anti-Semite. He's just stupid. He's just incompetent. The same way he goes to Prospect Park to go for a walk in the middle of the pandemic and drives there, which he did last Sunday, or Saturday, actually, he lives in a park along the East River, but he chose to go to Prospect Park for whatever reason, even though there's a lockdown. It's just it's it's just wild the way this guy just doesn't doesn't get it. And this is a person who really has failed as mayor in combat. He himself has combated the pandemic. There were one point. I mean, it's just it, the idea that this is somehow going to blame the Jews on this. You know, remember, this New York City schools remained open until March 15th. And Andrew Cuomo was the one who closed them. Anyway, Jonathan Greenblatt, the Anti-Defamation League, said the few who don't call social distance should be called out. But generalizing against the whole population is outrageous, especially since there are so many out there scapegoating Jews. This erodes the very unity our city needs now more than ever. And two more as we close. Chaim Deutsch, what? This has to be a joke. Did the mayor of New York City really single out one specific ethnic community? A community that has been the target of increasing hate crimes in his city. I remember Bill de Blasio, this is me, refused to acknowledge the idea that there was anti-Semitic crime. He blamed it on the right wing. That's where it comes from. Has he been to a park lately? What am I saying? Of course he has. Common Yeager, Mr. Mayor, your words are unacceptable. To condemn our entire community over one group of people is something you would not do to any other ethnic group. And I know you long enough to know that you know this. And it's true. He would never say this about somebody else. He would never say this about another group. He would always be sensitive. Shame on you, Mayor de Blasio. Shame on you. This is Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. Mm-hmm.